Hi, welcome to the Art of the Album podcast. David Goldman is a photographer who is responsible for the Blink-182 cover for Enema of the State. He was on a rare visit to the UK, he usually lives in Canada, and we took the opportunity to sit down with him and talk about what he remembers from that shoot while we had the chance. I hope you enjoy it. Hi. Hi. <laughs> How you doing? Good. Doing good. Tell us what you're here for in the UK. Uh, well, I'm in the UK and Europe, because this isn't Europe anymore, is it? It's still Europe, David. Is it? We just made some bad choices. <laughs> um, anyway, so I've been working on a long-term portrait series called The Motorcycle Portraits, where I feature individuals whose lives are deeply connected to motorcycles, uh, builders, racers, collectors, and world travelers. And I do a portrait, I do an audio interview, and I use GPS to geotag the location of the shot. And in the last, uh, I kind of started about four years ago, just as a side gig to just staying busy and trying to stay creative. And, um, and during COVID, it really kind of expanded. Up until COVID, maybe I chopped 20 or 30 pictures when I'm traveling in India mm -hmm. or wherever. Um, and then in COVID, I, I sold the motorcycle that I had been riding on, which was like a cool Triumph Thruxton, but not really conducive for distances and putting stuff on. And I bought an adventure bike and I started riding. I was living in LA at the time. And so I rode kind of as a proof of concept to see if I could do this. This was the first summer of COVID and I was sitting on the couch just eating a lot of ice cream, like many people. And, uh, and, uh, and I thought, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to see if I can do this. So I sold my bike. I bought uh, this KTM adventure bike and I wanted to do a proof of concept to see if it was realistic for me to use the motorcycle as a mobile photo studio, travel around, meet individuals that sort of fit within the parameters of that, of this sort of how I described it and, and, you know, whatever, see if it works. So I, so I left LA and I, and I went up North and I did a kind of like a two month, six week something trip, a few thousand miles. California, Oregon, Washington, Wyoming, Montana, Colorado, Arizona. Wow. This is sort of capital D letter back to California. Yeah. And I, I met all these incredible people and I, and I photographed them and had some amazing experiences. And, and when politically the country was just bonkers with Trump and everything. Um, and I'm not a, you know, I'm a very left wing liberal sort of person, but I would meet right wing Trumpers. Yeah. Yeah. But we got along amazing because we were talking about the motorcycle. Yeah. And so it was about the human connection. Yeah. And, and it wasn't about politics or religion or any of that stuff. It was just about bonding over this, this more esoteric connection to this machine that, that many people will say like is, you know, like the freedom machine. You know, like I was going to say like music, but actually even more so than music, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. Because I think music is even more broad than, than, um, you want to pause and take my pants off? Because I'm wearing my, just the people <laughs> are all mad and I'm wearing my, my motorcycle pants and they sound like a, they look like a snowsuit and they make a lot of snow. I know, sounds. we're getting like leather couch. Uh, um, yeah, I was going to say, um, I was going to say like music, but music is more, often not quite so removed. Yeah, and music is, you know, most people like music in some capacity, uh, but not most people like motorcycles. So it's like this very, I mean, it's huge. It's a huge group of people, obviously, but it's, but it's much more um, specific, yeah. I guess. So uh, anyway, so I shot all these different people and had these great experiences. Um, and then it was uh, 2000 and 
21 now, I guess the second year of uh, COVID. And um, my mom got sick and she passed away in a very short period of time, like seven weeks. And I was just, I, you know, I was, I was gutted. I was, you know, and uh, I, as a freelance photographer, I just lost all the motivation to try to hustle for work. It's always a constant hustle. And I just, like, I just couldn't be bothered. And I inherited a little bit of money, so I didn't have to stress about, you know, covering the rent, you know, so, which was, a, you know, awesome. But I thought, all right, I don't, I, I've just lost every ounce of motivation. It was really hard dealing with the grief. And uh, so I got on the bike and I was living in LA and I took four months and I rode around the US and Canada and, uh, and I photographed a whole bunch more people. And uh, yeah, so, so I did that. And then, and then, and then I went back to LA and I, and I, I, I'd sort of fallen in love with this area in Nova Scotia. And I was like, I'm just going to buy a house here. And, and I bought a house and I moved to Nova Scotia. Uh, so back to Canada, but I'd never lived on the East coast in the Maritimes. And, uh, and I sort of spent the year fixing up this house cause it was an older house. And, and then I, it got in my head. I wonder if I could go to Europe like next summer, obviously this summer. And I thought, well, how am I going to do that? I can't afford to fly my bike or I don't want to afford. I don't want to pay for that. Let somebody else pay for that. And so I thought I'm going to try to identify an airline that could maybe sponsor me. And so I just started hustling because it's what I do. And I found an airline and, and back and forth. And, and okay, and this is a very interesting Blink-182 story. Uh, <laughs> it's kind of crazy. So for me, the Blink album is, is strange because m- many people know it, right? It's huge. But I don't really identify with it because it's so, it's so not like, it's certainly not like anything I've shot for a very long time. But at the time I shot stuff like that, like very colorful and characters, but it's been a long time. Anyway, so I reach out to this airline and I, I, through some sleuthing, it, I realize I need to contact the cargo department versus just like call the airline, you know, you need to call cargo. Anyway, so I call this woman answers and I don't know if she's in like the Philippines or India or wherever. But I, I explain what I'm trying to accomplish and what I, what I want to do. And I say, you know, I'm a photographer. I did this, that. Maybe, are you a music fan? Oh, yes, I like music. Uh, oh, I did this Blink-182 album cover, you know, with the girl in there. She's like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. Oh, my God, this is kismet. This is kismet. Like, what are you talking about? She's like, she's like I literally, literally just learned to play three songs from that album on the ukulele. And I was like, get out of here. She's like, I swear to God. And uh, she goes, I am going to do my best to connect you with the right person who's in charge of like cargo and flying and all that. And then like two weeks later, uh, this guy calls me. I'm coming back from doing, doing a, a job for the New York Times. That was a little, little plug for me. Uh, a New York Times job. And uh, the irony of the New York Times job is I lived in New York. I lived in LA. I lived in Toronto. I had to move to Nova Scotia to get a New York Times job. But anyway, he calls me and that, that was the beginning of the conversation. And ultimately they agreed to, to do this project. And I'm sort of the ambassador for WestJet, which is amazing. And they flew me in the bike to Europe uh, and I'll fly home from Paris in September. And I'm continuing the motorcycle portraits and I'm meeting like people that I had known of, you know, yeah. in, but no way to get to like the chances that I would have met. You know, I just met a guy who's a chief designer of Formula One team. Like, that's crazy to me. And, and uh, I'm meeting, like, I'm meeting some really big muckety mucks. 
and uh, and I photographed Lyndon Poskett the other day and John McGinnis, who's a 23-time Isle of Man TT winner, which is crazy that I, I photographed him. So that's what I'm doing here. That's a very long question. So, no, that's great. I love that Bring 182 helped you go away. So that's not me sneezing, that's my dog. That's your dog. Oh, they always sneeze in twos or threes. Yeah, it's crazy how it, like, so that album didn't necessarily pay me a lot of money because I was young and like a, like a band signing and, you know, kind of getting screwed over or whatever. Yeah. But it continues to pay in ways that I was not, like, that I would have never conceived of, you know, it occurred to me. So it's pretty cool. And we are very chuffed because you've made a detour from your bike tour to come and do Little I'm so stoked to be here. It's like we've been talking for years, really now, yeah. and little bits here and little bits there, and so it's really nice to to meet. And then you were in, all over the world before you did the bike thing. Doing it's what hasn't been music photography for a long time, right? No, not for a long time. photography. Yeah, I do work for like NGOs and UN Women on maternal health and marginalized people and human trafficking, things like that. Um, yeah, that's sort of what I've been doing. I don't know, you know, now that COVID is sort of winding down and I, I'm, I've moved to this new place and, I, you know, obviously I'm working on this project right now. I don't know what's going to happen when I get back to Nova Scotia in September, like how I'm going to, I'm going to edit for a long time, yeah. all the pictures that I'm doing, all the audio and, and your audio as well, right? So like yeah. every picture there's a, yeah, there's an audio component. I ask everybody the same questions. Because I'm trying to, I'm trying to find this more esoteric connection to motorcycles. Not like, yeah, like going fast or whatever. It's freedom. Like I want, I want to find more because it it attracts people for different reasons. And I'm trying to show the inclusiveness, like men, women, straight, gay, black, white, every sort of range uh, of the population, and what what it brings to those people. And you know, sometimes I talk to people, and they get really emotional telling their story. You know, like I found my independence. I got out of this abusive relationship where I didn't think I had the, you know, the the intestinal fortitude to ride a bike from California to Ushuaia in Argentina. And I was scared and I was terrified, but like we did it. It wasn't easy, but we did it. And and how empowering that is and how and how it's a you know, it can be like even a metaphor for your life about, you know, just taking on challenges and, and stuff like that. So that's what I'm trying to to show, but I'm also trying to photograph like really important people in in the in that world not i mean some people you don't necessarily know but they are they're not just like oh my buddy joe rides a bike you should talk to him yes. these are people who've like really been profoundly affected by either owning a bike or being involved in motorcycling in some capacity i'm going to take the light maybe take the light out of your eyes a little bit huh. and make you talk a bit about blink or and also what you were doing that job to you yeah um you said there was music, other music photography around the time that you did that how did that job come about yeah so i had been assisting because i think i shot that in 99 yeah. it's got it so long ago uh, but i look I, I look pretty <laughs> i still look pretty uh i mean i think i do and then i see a photo and i'm <laughs> like i don't look really good actually shit the um uh so anyway i was an assistant i moved to la from toronto in 1994 and I assisted, I apprenticed for a long time. And I used to shoot with a lot of music photographers. So we would, you know, shoot album covers and whatever. And, um, and. More so than nine? 
Yeah, I didn't really shoot a lot of live stuff. So studio stuff. Yeah, studio publicity. Well, when I was an assistant, you wouldn't shoot live. Like I wouldn't, they didn't need an assistant to shoot live right. stuff. And when I transitioned from assisting to shooting, then I shot some live stuff because if I'm like schlepping gear around all day for 200 bucks and then Warner Brothers says, go to the Roxy or the whiskey and shoot this band for 250. And I'm like, yeah. And, and you go from being like the assistant where nobody really pays you any attention to being the photographer where you're like, it just, you're the same person, but you're treated so differently yeah. in, it's so ridiculous. But, um, so yeah, so I was, so I was now shooting, uh, on my own. Was I? Yeah, I was definitely shooting. And so, uh, I, anyway, I had met a lot of art directors during the time of my assisting and they would say, you know, like just show us stuff as you, as you progress. So I was doing a lot of work for my portfolio, just doing different tests and different ideas. A lot of like stylistically similar to the Blink stuff, just with like different characters and these big sets and all this kind of stuff. And uh, anyway, this art director uh, from MCA, he calls me and he's like, hey, do you, are you interested in shooting this album cover for this band Blink-182? I'd never heard of Blink-182. No, they weren't that big at the time. They, they were like a Southern California, you know, OC punk band. Um, and not, I mean, perfectly fine, but not the kind of music that I would listen to, that I was listening to. Um, but I was like, yeah, of course, an album cover? Fuck yeah. So anyway, so that was it. That's how I got the gig. And it was very straightforward. He's like, and initially, I've told this story before, but initially the album was meant to be called Turn Your Head and Cough. And so that's why I came up with the kind of the hand and the glove, because that's sort of indicative of like, if you're a guy, they're like, you know, turn your head and cough yeah. and they grab your nut nuts. Um, I guess to see if you have a hernia. Uh, I think that's the goal. Not just to touch your nut nuts. <laughs> uh, you nutty McNut nuts. So um, uh, anyway, so, so it was awesome and it was very in line with the kind of work I did. So I built multiple sets. There was a set for the lockers. Um, there was like, I think we got like four or five locker, like high school locker things. And then we built the set, which was the, like the medical room, the little doctor room. And, and then I think I shot on white as well. Yeah, I definitely did a white thing because, because when you opened up the inside, you had all the people standing in front of the locker, right? Yeah. So we made a, a plate of the locker, like one shot of the locker. And then I just shot everybody on white. And then they, and then they pasted them in front of the locker, but this is before Photoshop was like really thumping along. So it was a little bit more work, but anyway, so those were those three. What do you mean a bit more work? Is that, is that a scalpel and blade? I don't think it was scalpel and blade. I don't think so, but it wasn't as easy to do as it would have been now to, to, to do. Um, and then, and anyway, then the shot was done and, and, uh, and then I was shooting something else a couple of weeks later. And you got to remember like, there's no way to know that this was going to be a big album. It was just a job. I didn't get paid particularly much money. The budget was okay for the for the sets and everything. Um, like, I don't know, maybe 20 grand or something, I think. But that got eaten up by by renting the studio and getting all the props and having the makeup and the hair and the stylus. I mean, it really got chewed up. It was not like there was extra cash kicking around. Um, and so at the day of the shoot, they changed it from turn your head up and cough to anima of the state. And I was like, fuck, is that gonna, is that gonna work like with this? And I'm like, eh, yeah, it'll work. Who cares? <laughs> and so, and so they had wanted this, this woman, Janine, she's a porn star. And, uh, I didn't know who she was. I didn't like the headshot that I saw of her. 
I mean, I feel it's bad the saying that. Story. What's that? That's the official line. What's the official I didn't line? Know who she was. No, I didn't. <laughs> I didn't. I, I, I look at porn as much as any guy, but I don't. But I don't. I'm not interested in the in the IMDb of the the profile. That's not what I'm looking for. Uh, so so, but I'd seen the headshot, and I was like, mm, I don't know if she's the right person for this. But the band was really adamant. So whatever, I don't care. So so they had her, and she was great. Like she was great, and uh, whatever. Yeah, we did the shot, and then so a couple of weeks later, I'm working on some other like editorial magazine shot, and the art director called me, and he needed an eyeball because he wanted there to be an eyeball when you pop off the CD, like underneath. Yeah, that came after. And I was like, and so my assistant, David Raymond, shout out to David Raymond. uh, He was assisting me at that time. And I'm like, Dave, can we just shoot your eyeball? So just shot his eyeball and it's his eyeball. Uh, And David's a big sound guy in movies and and HBO and stuff. So he's like the guy with the microphone. Yeah. So yeah. So that's how, that's pretty much it. And then, and then it, you know, it came out and, of course, it did really well, and it was really cool to see. Um, you know, there was, it was painted on the side of a wall and on Sunset Boulevard. Yeah. Somebody told me that there was a billboard in Times Square, but nobody had iPhones then, so you couldn't just take a picture and send it. And I was like, oh, can somebody send me the picture? But yeah, I never saw that, so I don't know. I just don't know how how big it. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, obviously, I know that it sold a lot of records, but I don't in in the marketing and the promotion of it. I didn't see it elsewhere beyond LA because that's where I was living yeah. um yeah and there was no social media for people to spread it I think it, so you don't get the real feeling that is here yeah Henley on Thames. yeah like was it here did you see a big billboard really <laughs> I, mean, I don't remember like at the HMV like, or something right, probably HMV for sure, yeah. yeah you were probably a baby you weren't even born yet 19 19 so you were the target age you're like exactly. right there yeah so um yeah, so that's it. That was the, that's the scuttlebutt. That's kind of what happened, and that's that's all I got to say about yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. Were you at Glastonbury? Did you want to be? I'm getting that sense that you're. But it was just a bunch of old guys, wasn't it? Just like an oldies r- review. I, I have to say, and I, I think right when I was a very young teenager, I did have a Guns N' Roses uh, so on patch, mm. um, which I thought maybe really. Cool. It didn't, obviously. But then, but then when I watched their set, I was like, "Oh, that was actually really." I'm sure they sent they. I mean, they really... great. You know, it's funny. Um, Guns and Roses. So Slash's dad, who is I know him. I don't know him. That's not the right thing to say. I've met him many times because he was a set decorator. Like he painted and stuff. And so when I was an assistant. He, I worked for this photographer called Moshe Braca, who's a bit, who, who did a lot of like advertising, but he got his start in the music world too. He's like 20 years older than me, but he did a really famous Boz Skaggs album and stuff. And, uh, what's his name? Slash's dad's name. Oh God, I forget. Fill in the, his name is uh, <laughs> Michael. Uh, uh, yeah. Um, Tony, his name is Tony. Okay. And, uh, and so he's, he's friends with my buddy Noah's parents. Who Noah's dad was a manager, managed Joni Mitchell and all this stuff and back in the day. Um, anyway, Tony said something. I'm not, this is not a quote verbatim, but it was something like, I think Noah said, oh, I, you know, like the Stones. And he's like, the Stones, man, they're so old. They're so old, those guys. And now like, you know, Guns yeah. N' Roses are like <laughs> so old, but the Stones are even older. They just keep getting, still, still they're still there. Energy. I know, it's crazy. So I, uh, uh, yeah, so yeah, there you go. 
Yeah, I would love to go to Grafton Field. Though I feel it took me back really old. I feel too old to do the the slog. Yeah, the traffic. Yeah, that's to VIP it, but that's not my life. <laughs> the VIP is not your life. Yeah, aspirational VIP, but yeah. reality in a tent reality. in the mud. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Me too. Moi aussi. We're very close to Reading Festival, so you know it's not quite the same, but that's walkable. Really? Yeah. Wow. So you could sleep in your own bed? Yeah. Is if you have that's the right pass. That's cool. <laughs> that's really cool. That's my life. Reading's been going on forever, right? It was like a it still is a bit more um narrow remit than Gastonbury, but it was a big rock rock. Like like the Who at Reading and Yeah. Before Glastonbury and then Glastonbury yeah. came around and just got bigger. And grew and grew and grew. Yeah. I don't think I'd want to be in those events. I just like, it's too many people. I was at this ABR festival this weekend, this big yeah. motorcycle adventure thing. And I was literally the first person to set up a tent. Imagine going to Woodstock and being the first person to put your tent <laughs> down and going, yeah, I don't think it'll be too bad. I wonder if anybody will come. And that's what it was like. And then I was like, and, and I have a photo. It's like my little tent and like all, this huge field. And then. Uh, Which is why you're my friend. And you take a photo after when the field got put. I, I, I didn't because I was just like, it was so hot. It was like a thousand degrees and I was just dying. But there are many photos of the field fully like that. There's less photos with one tent and far more with, with many. But the first night I was sleeping and again, there was nobody there. And uh, I go to sleep and at 1.30 in the morning, I wake, I wake up to it. And I was like, what? is that and nobody there was nobody else there i think it was a deer or something because i put myself right under the tree and i was like holy shit that's a crazy it freaked me out i was like i'll be safe i'll hide under the sleeping bag you don't know you just hide. no yeah i just hid i just hid for safety i think that was probably the best thing to I do really sensible yeah it's sensible it's, I, oh yeah like with the bear yeah i was like oh shit but i thought there's no bears in uh there's no bear i don't think there's any really really dead yeah, so I survived. Although there were some guys that were snoring like bears. Yeah. Bunch of drunk fat dudes yeah, snoring like heat. bears. And they eat all of like a bad combination. <laughs> um, well, I, I feel really honored that we got to see you and talk to you and hear about what you're doing now and a little bit firsthand about things. So um, thanks, too. Thank you, Emily. I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. Don't forget to subscribe or follow the Art of the Album podcast to make sure you don't miss future conversations.